1: In today's NBA, many of the megastars of the league wear their own signature shoe. LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and many others. And if you go back to the last 40 years, there have been signature shoes for Kobe Bryant, Larry Johnson, Magic Johnson, Dominique Wilkins, Shaquille O'Neal, Penny Hardaway, and many, many others. But the idea of having a signature shoe did not come about until the early 1980s, and the first player to have such a shoe was Michael Jordan. He paved the way for all of the other signature shoes that came after the Air Jordan. But the idea of the Air Jordan did not start with Jordan. In fact, he wanted to sign with Adidas. He had to be convinced. No, the idea for a signature shoe came from the mind of a man named Sonny Vaccaro. This is the story of the Air Jordan. And this is Basketball History 101.
0: This is Basketball History 101
1: with Rick Loaiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101 part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza and this is the podcast we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today we bring you the story of how the Air Jordan was created. But to do that, we have to know who Sonny Vaccaro is. After all, it was his idea for Nike to create such a shoe. Sonny Vaccaro is one of the most interesting figures in all of basketball history. He was not a player, he was not a coach. He was, however, completely obsessed with basketball at all levels, high school, college, and the pros. The man breathed and ate basketball. It was the first thing on his mind when he woke up, and the last thing on his mind when he went to bed. So how did he get himself into a position to influence Nike? From humble beginnings, Vaccaro became one of the biggest movers and shakers in the basketball world. When Vaccaro was still in his 20s, he was teaching high school and on the side he was organizing local basketball tournaments for high school teams in Pittsburgh and the surrounding areas. He loved the idea of getting the best teams in the area to play each other in a tournament format. Many of these teams were far enough apart that had it not been for Vaccaro, they may have never played each other. So Vaccaro made sure that they did and he sold tickets for these events. While he did make a little bit of money, He did not become rich by any stretch of the imagination from organizing these tournaments. But the idea of these tournaments grew into a new idea the Dapper Dan Round Ball Classic, which was the first national high school all-star game. Vaccaro brought together some of the best high school players in the country into one all-star game. But the real genius of that idea for Vaccaro was to invite all of the top college coaches from around the country to attend. And it was a no-brainer for coaches. Many college coaches travel thousands and thousands of miles every year to see and recruit the best basketball talent. But with the Dapper Dan game, they could make one trip and see 24 of the the best high school players in the country all in one place, and they could see them playing against each other in order to better gauge which ones were the true elite players. Through the Dapper Dan game, Sonny Vaccaro became friends and connected with all of the big-name college coaches in the country. He quickly became the most connected figure in college basketball, and technically speaking, He was not even part of college basketball. He was still a high school teacher from Pittsburgh who liked organizing basketball games. In the late 1970s, he cold-called the people at Nike about an idea for a new basketball shoe. The guy he talked to was Rob Strasser, Now remember that name, because Strasser will return later in the story. Now Strasser politely turned Vaccaro down on his idea for a new basketball shoe. However, there was something about Vaccaro that Strasser liked, and he hired Vaccaro as a Nike rep. At the time, Nike was hardly more than 10 years old and most of their business was still in making shoes for track and field athletes. But they did want to branch out into other sports, especially basketball. Now this is where Vaccaro could help them. The people at Nike gave Vaccaro $500 per month and an expense account of $30,000 to be spent completely at Vaccaro's discretion. His assignment was to expand Nike's market share in basketball. But that was not so easy. Convincing college coaches to switch their teams from Adidas or Converse to Nike did not make sense for many coaches. Adidas and Converse were more established brands and already had a reputation for making good basketball shoes. Nike was just breaking into basketball and did not have an established reputation. Now, this is where Vicaro's expense account came in handy. Vicaro worked the phones and signed up six coaches at five thousand dollars each to switch their teams to Nike, and Nike would give the players free shoes as part of the deal. Today, this is normal, but back then, it was a brand new concept. Today, college coaches all over the country accept millions of dollars annually to ensure that their team wear a particular shoe, but the idea started started with Sonny Vaccaro at Nike in the late 1970s. Well, the idea worked. Vaccaro got six schools to switch to Nike, and that is how things got started for him as a rep for Nike. You might remember Coach Jim Valvano from North Carolina State University. He was one of those early coaches that signed on with Nike. Now I am just going to paraphrase Coach Valvano, but he said, wait, you're going to give me $5,000 and give me free shoes? Is this even legal? Well. That is how new the idea was. And they quickly found out that the idea was perfectly legal. You see, the coaching network is pretty tight. Most college coaches have a relationship with almost every other college head coach. They often work summer basketball camps together. They coach against each other. Some of them were probably even assistants for more established head coaches. You get what I'm saying. Most coaches know all of the other coaches and they talk to each other all the time. So the word quickly spread that Nike was offering money if the team would switch to the Nike shoes. Vaccaro had created a monster he no longer had to convince coaches to switch to Nike it got to the point where the coaches were calling Nike to find out how they could become part of the program in other words the coaches were calling Nike to see how they could get that extra $5,000 a year into their pocket well the people at Nike were more than happy to sign up every coach in the country Vaccaro had more than proved his worth his original $30,000 expense account quickly mushroomed to the hundreds of thousands as Vaccaro was busy signing up every team that he could and it Work. as all of these different college teams were switching to Nike their fans especially the kids also wanted to wear Nike basketball shoes just like their favorite college basketball team the sales of Nike shoes more than justified the expense of the endorsement program that Vaccaro created Vaccaro became the golden boy at Nike so Vaccaro was the man behind the local elite basketball tournaments in Pittsburgh he was the man who created the Dapper Dan Roundball classic the first national high school all-star game and he was the man who created the U- successful college coach endorsement program at nike he also created the abcd basketball camp which was an annual training camp for only the top 200 basketball players in the united states and canada now that is going to be an entirely separate episode on the abcd camp because there is a lot to that story however with all of that success sonny vaccaro's biggest idea would not come until the early 1980s and that of course is the Air Jordan. Now, this is a good place to take a break, and we will be right back with the story of how the Air Jordan came to be.
0: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, ROW number one, for access to the full Row One catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a fifteen percent discount off all prints on the Row One Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN fifteen. Follow the link on the show notes. Hi, everybody. Dan and Andrew from Hello Old Sports here. We wanted to drop in and let you know about our latest episode. That's right. We interviewed the co authors of Phyllis George, Shattering the Ceiling, a biography of groundbreaking broadcaster Phyllis George. And her life is really sort of a journey through 20th century America, from Miss America pageants to the Kentucky State House to the groundbreaking NFL Today show on CBS, even the Kentucky Colonels, the old ABA. We got in all sorts of stories about the Celtics under Red Arback, about the interview with Roger Staubach, about really all sorts of things, a fight between Brent Musburger and Jimmy the Greek. We really enjoyed talking with Lenny Shulman and Paul Volpone, who teamed up to write this book. The book is on sale right now wherever books are sold you know, within reason, garage sales, probably not. So go <laughs> ahead and pick up a copy today. And if you want a chance to win the book, you can go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways and register for a chance to win. Goodbye, old sports.
1: Welcome back to the show and let us get into the idea of the creation of the Air Jordan. Now, as I mentioned before the break, Sonny Vaccaro is a basketball marketing genius. With his Dapper Dan all-star game, the college coach shoe endorsement program, and his ABCD camp, the guy was everywhere in the basketball world as he had his hands in high school, college, and professional basketball but 1982 is when he got his biggest idea yet he was invited to the ncaa final four by his friend coach john thompson of georgetown university that year the championship game was between georgetown and the university of north carolina north carolina was coached by dean smith and the team was led by their third year player james worthy the clear star of the team now that game came down to a last second shot and in a very famous play, North Carolina swung the ball around to an open freshman named Michael Jordan, who made the shot and became an overnight sensation. Sonny Vaccaro just knew that this 19-year-old kid was going to be a star. So let us fast forward a couple of years to the spring of 1984. The executives at Nike wanted to make a huge splash in the NBA and sign up a bunch of players to endorsement contracts. Their idea was to budget $2 million, and they wanted to sign 20 NBA players at $100,000 each over five years to wear a generic Nike basketball shoe. This would be similar to what Converse was already doing. They had a shoe called the Converse Weapon, which was a great basketball shoe back in the early 1980s. I mean, I wanted a pair of the Converse weapons so badly as a kid, but my family could not afford them. Converse had Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, Isaiah Thomas, Kevin McHale, and Mark McGuire all signed to endorsement contracts to wear the Converse weapon. But the Converse was not exactly a signature shoe. All of these players wore the exact same shoe, just in different colors to match the team colors of each player. The Larry Bird version was black with white trim. To match with the Celtics' wore. The Magic version was white with purple and yellow trim to match the Laker colors. Then Bernard King's version was white and orange to match with the Knicks' wore. Well, Nike wanted to do the same thing, but they wanted to get 20 players all at once with their $100,000 per player offer. Vaccaro said no way. He had his heart set on Michael Jordan. He knew that Jordan was going to be the next NBA megastar. Vaccaro did not care about any of the other players. He wanted Michael Jordan for Nike. But Vaccaro knew that landing Jordan would not be easy. Vaccaro did his homework and he knew that Jordan really liked Adidas. He talked to the people in North Carolina and found out that Jordan wore Adidas shoes in practice because he liked the way they felt, but he wore Converse in games because he had to. Dean Smith, the coach at North Carolina, had an endorsement contract with Converse, which is what the players at North Carolina wore, at least back then. Vicaro knew that if Nike had offered Jordan just $100,000 that they were planning on offering him, that they would lose Jordan to Adidas because Adidas was offering around the same amount of money and Jordan preferred Adidas anyway. So Vicaro told his bosses to take the entire $2 million budgeted for endorsement salaries and give it all to Michael Jordan. The Nike bosses could Not believe what they were hearing. That money was meant for 20 players, and Vicaro was saying to give it all to one player. Now, let me be clear about one thing before I keep going. While nearly everyone thought that Michael Jordan would have a successful NBA career, nobody I mean nobody, except for maybe Vaccaro, had any idea in 1984 that Jordan would become the greatest player of all time. It is easy to criticize Nike people in hindsight because the decision is a no-brainer today. But back in 1984, making these decisions in real time carried a lot of risk. What if Jordan got injured? Or what if he turned out to be just an average NBA player? There have been more than a few college stars who went on to become just okay NBA players, either due to injury or lack of talent or lack of discipline. But Vaccaro was so persuasive that the Nike people agreed. The next step was to talk to Jordan. Vaccaro contacted an old coaching friend of his by the name of George Raveling. He worked as one of the assistant coaches for Bob Knight on the 1984 United States Olympic team. Now, this is where Vaccaro's extensive coaching connections came in handy. Raveling was spending a good chunk of his summer working with Michael Jordan and the rest of the 1984 Olympic team. Raveling was more than happy to make the introductions. Vaccaro met with Jordan and Raveling at a restaurant and Vaccaro laid out the plans that Nike was thinking about. But all Michael wanted was a car. He kept bringing it up in the conversation. Vaccaro told a 21-year-old Jordan that he could take his new Nike salary and buy as many cars as he wanted. But Jordan wanted Nike to buy the car on top of the salary. So finally, Vaccaro promised a car to be included in the deal. He told the Nike people that they now had to buy a car for Michael Jordan, in addition to the salary. The Nike people were fine with it. I mean, they were not going to let a single car become a deal breaker to a multi-million dollar marketing plan. Once the Olympics were over, Nike flew in Michael Jordan and his parents to Beaverton, Oregon, where the Nike headquarters are located. Jordan did not even want to make the trip because he had already made up his mind to sign with Adidas. He still did not quite understand exactly what Nike was truly offering, but his mother, bless her, made him go to that pitch meeting. In addition to the offer of the $2 million over five years, which was a huge attention grabber, they talked about a signature shoe named after Jordan. They also included a pitch for a series of commercials featuring Jordan to advertise the shoe. They then talked about a full clothing line to go along with the shoes. They talked about t shirts, hats, tank tops, shorts, branded tracksuits, posters, keychains you name it. And they threw in a number of bonuses based on sales numbers. They also threw in of all profits from the shoes to go directly to Michael Jordan's pocket. When you add up the salary, bonuses, and profit sharing, the contract was completely unheard of. It would absolutely dwarf any shoe contract signed by any NBA player prior to that. In the end, he would make more money in shoes through Nike than all of the other NBA players combined. Essentially, Nike made an offer that Jordan could not refuse. Here is where Rob Strasser returns to the story. At this point in his career, he is placed in charge of this new signature shoe program that would feature Michael Jordan. It was Vaccaro's idea, but it was Strasser's project to execute. Strasser was in charge of the day-to-day leadership of the new design team. As the two sides were negotiating, they had not yet come up with a name for the shoe. Michael Jordan's agent, David Falk, had jotted down a few different ideas for names, but the one that stuck out from the rest was Air Jordan. That became the name of the shoe and the associated clothing line. Now this is the very first time that a basketball player was going to get a signature shoe, and they wanted to make a splash. Now you might be thinking to yourself, didn't Walt Frazier have that endorsement with Puma in the 1970s where he wore that suede basketball shoe? Well, you are correct, he did but it was not a signature shoe technically. The shoes were never officially called the Clydes or the Walt Frazier's. He was just the guy that endorsed them and made them popular. Puma still makes those shoes by the way, and today they are called the Clydes, but today they are meant to be worn more as a fashion statement, not to actually play basketball in. But with the Air Jordans, the shoes were going to be named after a specific player. This idea had been popular in tennis for years. With tennis being an individual sport, many tennis superstars had signature shoes, signature rackets, signature clothing, etc. So the idea was not completely original. This was just the first time that anyone tried to have a signature shoe for an athlete in a team sport. And that is how it got started. Jordan signed on and began wearing these amazing new basketball shoes. And then Nike had another idea. In order to better promote the air jordan line of athletic wear they asked jordan to not only participate in the 1985 nba dunk contest but to do so wearing air jordan gear from head to toe and you can go back and look it up on youtube every other player in the contest is wearing their regular nba uniform clyde drexler orlando woolridge dominique wilkins Terrence stansbury i mean all of them and jordan is wearing air jordan shoes black and red Air Jordan track pants, a black Air Jordan t-shirt, and a red Air Jordan tank top over the t-shirt. Jordan was a walking billboard for Air Jordan clothing line, and the fans loved it, and Nike loved it too. But then, because of a tie score, Jordan had to go against Stansberry in a dunk off to see who could get out of the first round and into the second round. Well, now things were serious. Jordan had to get into the second round in order to keep promoting the Air Jordans. How embarrassing would it be for him to get knocked out of the first round wearing all of that Air Jordan gear? So Jordan quickly took everything off and it turned out he actually had his regular Bulls uniform on underneath all of the Air Jordan clothing. So they went through a one dunk tiebreaker and of all things, Stansberry got the higher score, so Jordan got knocked out in the first round anyway. Well, the NBA people could not have that, so they had a quick conversation and agreed to throw out the tiebreaker scores and let Stansberry and Jordan go through to the second round. The NBA really wanted Jordan to stay in the competition, and even though he did not score enough points, they let him through anyway. The second round included Dr. J, Dominique Wilkins, Larry Nance Sr., who was the defending champion, Stansberry, and of course, Michael Jordan. It was Jordan and Dominique who shined and made it through to the final round where Dominique Wilkins won the trophy and the title of the 1985 NBA Dunk Champion. But it was still a huge day for Jordan and the Air Jordan brand. It was Nike's hope to sell $5 million worth of Air Jordan shoes and clothing during that first year. They thought that if they could reach that target, it would be a really great start and then they could build from there. Well, they sold 50 million dollars worth of Air Jordan merchandise in that first year. That was 10 times what they were projecting. They had a juggernaut of a product. And in another first, rather than continue to sell the same shoe model year after year like the Converse Weapon, the people at Nike stole an idea from the automobile industry. How about if they came out with a new model of Air Jordans every year, right before the start of the new NBA season? It would be just like a new model of car that comes out every year, and they would call it the Air Jordan 2. And kids went crazy. Well, adults did too for that matter. Fans who already had the first Air Jordans were now buying the second ones. And they were buying the new t-shirts and the new hats and the new tracksuits. They were buying everything over and over again as the Nike design team came out with new designs of everything. Nike had found a goose that laid golden eggs. The Jordan brand is now its own division within Nike, making a variety of different basketball shoes. They also sponsor international football teams like Paris Saint-Germain. The Jordan brand is now everywhere, even in sports other than basketball. And it all started with Sonny Vaccaro. He bet his career on the idea of a signature shoe for a basketball player. And when I say he bet his career, he literally bet his career. If the Air Jordan idea had failed, Vaccaro was going to get fired. That was the agreement that he had made with the Nike bosses. So let us give credit to Sonny Vaccaro and his genius idea to bet. it all on Michael Jordan. Because of him, in any given NBA season, there are about a dozen players with signature shoes and selling all kinds of merchandise. It is today a multi-billion dollar industry. So I hope you have an appreciation for how something like this happens. There is a movie coming out this week that also covers this story. The movie is called Air, and it stars Matt Damon as Sonny Vaccaro and Ben Affleck as Nike boss Phil Knight. And I am looking forward to seeing it. Well. That is it for us. Join us next week when we share the story of Paul Mokeski. He is one of the many journeymen who never became a household name, but who managed to stay in the NBA for a decade or more. And that is not as easy as it would seem. So we wanted to take a moment to focus our attention on a role player. That's next time on Basketball History 101 part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to SportsHistoryNetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. A lot to announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mind the history of basketball for more great stories from the past take care and see you soon